welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to begin a new book together, looking at the prophet Hosea. Now, Hosea was a prophet to God's people, both to Israel and Judah, serving both nations. And you can see the dates here, really, in the first verse of the book. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah served as kings of Judah in the years 791 through 687. Jeroboam served Israel from 793 until 753. Now, what this means is that Hosea begins serving as a prophet by 753. Could have been a few years before that, but by 753 at least, because he's serving under Jeroboam's time as king. That was the last year of Jeroboam's kingship. The latest king would be Hezekiah, and Hezekiah's reign begins in 729. So the ending of Hosea's ministry, his time of prophetic word speaking to the people of God doesn't come before Hezekiah begins. So sometime after 729, he concludes, whether that's 729 or 724 or whatever it might be. That's the picture that we get from verse 1. So that helps us to see the time frame of which Hosea serves for God's people. He is what we would consider to be the first minor prophet. So in God's word in the Old Testament, we have the five major prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations. It gets stuck in there because Jeremiah wrote that one as well. And then you have the 12 minor prophets. And it's not to say that Hosea is less than Isaiah. The thing that makes them major or minor is how much they wrote essentially. So Isaiah's writings are 66 chapters long. Some of your minor prophets are quite short. I mean, Obadiah is just one chapter, for example. So that's what gives you the the distinction here. In fact, Hosea and Isaiah are serving likely with some overlap when they are serving as prophets to God's people and may not have been the only only prophets whose time overlapped and got to see, perhaps even work together. Amos, Micah, perhaps active at the same time as Hosea and Isaiah. So just a little context to give you uh, some insight into this. Israel is a very wretched and wicked place. Their kings are faithless and continue to search after false gods. They've, they've created their own idols and worship those for generations. And their time is coming to its conclusion. They're coming to an end. On the other hand, you have Judah, and they come and go. I mean, even from that list of kings, uh, you can go back into the book of kings and find those kings and figure out if they followed God, trusted in him or not. Ahaz didn't. Hezekiah did. So feel free to look up Uzziah and Jotham and see if you can learn whether they followed God's ways or if they misled the people and led them astray. But for now, let's go ahead and dive into the text. It's a short chapter today, just 11 verses. Then the word of Yahweh came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. 
When Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Yahweh. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And Yahweh said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And Yahweh said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by Yahweh their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and Yahweh said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. So we've already talked about the timing here. The only maybe oddity about verse 1 is, that again, the, the, the reign of kings for Judah here. There's four of them, and they span from 791 to 687 B.C., but you only get the one Israelite king, and it's 793 to 753. So a much shorter period of time. It gives us the benchmark. We know when Hosea has to have started because of this. But at the same time, Hosea, Hezekiah, I mean, Ahaz and Hezekiah both. Well, looking at the dates, Jotham too. Three of these Judaite kings haven't even begun their reign by the time Jeroboam is done. So... Why is the next Israelite kings left out? Why are they left out? An interesting question to ponder. It could be that they have utterly rejected Hosea and will hear him no more. It could be that God is already bringing about what he has said in this very text. Where you read down in verse 4, for example, and in verse 6, that God is no longer going to be having mercy on the house of Israel. As we look at verse 2, the very first thing that Yahweh gives Hosea to do is to marry a prostitute. Be careful what we wish for is, is a bit of a message here. We often want to, to have a prominent role in service to the Lord. It's just part of the sinful nature. We always want to be well known. We want people to, to look to us. The Old Testament prophets often were commanded by God to do some really strange stuff. To use their own personal life as a teaching illustration for God to teach his people. 
And that's precisely what's going to happen here in this relationship between Hosea and Gomer. And we're going to see that play out really in the next couple of chapters. This this whole illustration is chapters one through three. In chapter one, primarily what we get is just the children picture of it. But the whole picture plays out again in the next couple of chapters. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that. But this is really the theme of the book. What we're going to see is the idea that Hosea is a representative of God, and Gomer represents Israel, as to the children. So God's people abandon him. They run off, they commit adultery, that is, they chase after other gods. They refuse to be his people. And yet God is going to prove himself faithful. He's going to restore them. He's going to return them to their homes. He's going to plant them again. He's going to give them forgiveness. He's going to call them his people. And every time we sin, he comes right back after us again. And he forgives us again. So that's really going to be the message of these first few chapters of this book. And that's a, it's a powerful illustration, but at the same time, a tricky illustration for parents with younger children to be able to describe. Uh, to the to the little ones. So Gomer is going to end up having these three sons with Hosea. Now, before we leave that idea of God giving prophets crazy things to do, you could turn that into a conversation with your children if you wanted. If God gave you something crazy to do, would you do it? And we see the Old Testament does have many examples of that, going back to Abram, where God tells him to get up and leave his homeland and everything he knows behind and go to this place that he's going to tell him, Genesis chapter 12. But in reality, God has given you something the world thinks is crazy to do. Take up your cross. Follow me. Whoever does not lose his life. Well, whoever, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Those are some of the words of Jesus in the gospel account of Matthew. They really strike the world as odd. We are called to humble ourselves. We are called to be entirely self-sacrificing, not focused on me, 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 but instead always focused on what the people around us need, always focused on caring for them and sharing Christ with them. When you really stop and think about what that looks like, God has called you to something crazy at least, again, in the world's eyes. He is your provider. He will care for you. So now we get to the children. The, the importance of names in the Hebrew culture has to be brought up here again. Your name meant something. It was often um, like a, a phrase. So we have Jezreel, which means God sows. We have, in verse 6, lo ruhamah, which means no mercy. And then in verse Nine, we have Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And so names have this meaning to them. You named your child something, in, in a way almost, hoping that it would serve as a blessing to them. That they would be reminded of something or strengthened to do something. You know, you're already trying to instill in your child what you want for them. So for God to give these children, for Hosea to give these children these names, 
That's a tough childhood to grow up this way. So the firstborn son is named God sows, Jezreel, because God, even though he had sown them as a people before, planted them in, in the earth, he is now bringing about, he is now sowing seeds of destruction and judgment because of their wickedness. He's going to put an end to their kingdom. He's going to break the bow. So he's going to destroy the, the military might and strength of the, the Jewish people, who as we would consider them today, Israel and Judah. The Valley of Jezreel is an important military place. It's just to the west of the Jordan River, southwest of the Sea of Canareth, or the Sea of Galilee, if you're thinking New Testament terms. And many battles, many important battles have happened there before. It's a, a crucial part of Israel's territory. And so for them to be broken there in this essentially a battle against God himself is, is an important feature of the text. Now, the next child is named Lo Ruhamah, no mercy, because God is not going to have mercy on them anymore. He's not going to forgive them at all. Where would we be if God spoke like that to us? Is a question to ask as a family. We would be in trouble. We would be worse than that. We would be condemned. We would go to hell. Now the question is, has he spoken that way to us? Has he said he will not forgive us? Thankfully, the answer to that is no, and it's the opposite. He, he has forgiven us. He has given us his gift of Christ, his son, for us, which then is going to be the answer to the next question you want to ask your kids in this text. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or horses or horsemen. How does God save the people of Judah? So there's a distinction made in the two nations. Israel will never return. They don't repent of their sins. But Judah in their exile in the future will repent. And so God restores them. Now, but again, how does God save them? If it's not by all these military things, how did he do it? It's an answer your children can get. Jesus dying on the cross is how we are saved. And then after Lo Ruhamah, no mercy. She gives birth to another son. They name him Lo-Ami, not my people. And that's the opposite, right, of the, the covenant that God had been making with his people before. The Israelites were to be his children, his descendants, and his people for generation after generation. And here he's rejecting them. He's rejecting the covenant that he had made with Abram many years before because they have rejected him. And really, that's probably the way you want to focus on that idea. Not that God is rejecting them, but that he they, they have rejected him first. Um, the Bible does talk that way sometimes, that the Lord will let us have our sin. You know, if you've hardened your heart for so long, eventually the Lord just gives you the desire of your heart. You can read that kind of language in Romans 1, for example. But then we see everything reversed already with the children. And so it all flips over and you have the promise given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, and in chapter 22, verse 17, uh, that the children of Israel are going to be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered, which is very true. Good luck counting the, even a cup worth of sand and how many grains you find in it. A couple million, by the way, is the answer to that question. 
and in the place where it was said of them. So right there, where they were planted before, God is going to restore them. He's going to bring them back. So as they lose Jerusalem because of their faithlessness, when God restores them under under the future rulership of the Persian Empire, God sends them home again. It's just it. He restores them right there to Jerusalem. And you can talk to your children about the events that happen in Jerusalem, you know, a good 500, 600 years later, 500's closer, when Jesus comes. And that's going to be the answer to something you could ask about question 11. They shall appoint for themselves one head. Well, who is that? Who is the one head who rules over Judah? And that would be Jesus. And so we see uh, the idea that they are not his people overturned there. We see that the planting is overturned. So again, Jezreel is mentioned in the very last word of the chapter. means God sows. And you have this picture in verse 11 of the harvest, that the people of Israel will be gathered together, just like a farmer gathers his crop to his, himself in his barn. So God is going to gather his people again. So a good promise, good restoration beginning. Really the restoration of the children's names, the flipping over of the names, finishes in chapter 2, verse 1. So we're going to go ahead and just include that, but we'll mention again tomorrow. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. So I just include that to finish out the idea of the children's names all being restored, all being redeemed. Jezreel goes from God sowing vengeance and destruction to God sowing his people. No mercy becomes merciful, and not my people becomes my people. The very life of Hosea the prophet and his family is a teaching tool for God before his people.